Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360 is back Friday edition. Glad you're with us alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton, Lance Lee, Jacob Swanson, Regan McCrossin, Jake Popoff, David Reed, the chairman of the board, Sleepy Danny, and the entire cast at Blackbird Studio, the Blackbird Academy, where we broadcast live from Studio G in Nashville, Tennessee. Big night last night for the 360 Masters at Top Golf, a huge success benefiting the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. If you join us on Instagram, we appreciate that. Gentlemen, good morning. Time for a big show. Good morning. All the shows are big. Today's even bigger because we're coming off a huge night to benefit a great cause. A huge thanks to everyone who came out last <laughs> night to support. Tons of fun. So much fun. Uh, always great to mix it up with everybody who comes out to, uh, to see us and last night to, to support the great cause. Met a lot of people, uh, visited with a lot of people that we know well, uh, and just had a, a great, great time. The weather cooperated. We had this majestic uh, sunset with uh, painted clouds. Very romantic at the uh, beginning with, for the great photo. It, it, it was beautiful. We had a shot cam that uh, we'll leave you to imagine. But uh, great all around. We got to see Jacob and Lance in oh. the social setting. David Reed wore a special outfit. I mean, it was everything you could wish for and more. David Reed, when he dresses up for these type of events, always makes fills me with the regret that I don't have like special that, wardrobes yeah. to wear. Like I need like a specific wardrobe or perfect. shirt to wear to he an event like that. He was perfect last night. Great. Pitch perfect. Well, Jacob, I'm going to attempt to drop into our our chat here the photo of David Reed. Yes. Um, I, I did grab one of him, and he, he was by far the best dressed of the evening. But speaking of a romantic setting, we were romanticizing over the swing of Jacob Swanson. The guy can play golf. Jakob got it done last night. I at have Top video golf. of that too that we should probably put out there. I'll, <laughs> I'll a, send Jacob masterclass. I'll send Jacob video of Jacob that we need to. to, to run. It's it's poetry in motion when you watch Jacob the Swanson got swing rhythm. golf club. It's swing rhythm, swing beauty. Congratulations to the 360 season ticket holders team with Alan Wink. They are the winning team of the 360 Masters last night. And our 360 Masters champion, winning the green jacket, John Tominski of Seymour Putting Company. Seymour Putters provided our grand prize and JT at Seymour was excellent. Uh, n no one came close to his top score last night at Top Contender. You can call uh, JT AB because he was all business. Everyone there <laughs> yes, was cutting was. up, having a couple beers, having some laughs, cutting up with their buddies, joking about their buddy swing, and this guy was, whoop, he was focused, ready to go. Even by the end of the night when he won, there were no smiles. He was like Phil Mickelson with that focus that he had in that Sunday round of the PGA Championship uh, by the end of it. It was, it was impressive to watch. And uh, big ups to Alan Wink, who I spoke to before the event started last night for a while. A big fan of the show, uh, but wanted to support this cause because he is 25 years leukemia-free. Got diagnosed at 19 years old, so this was obviously near and dear to his heart. And uh, for his team to win is, is pretty cool. And he stepped up two years ago when we brought this event to light. So, uh, Alan, thank you and, and congratulations to the 360 season ticket holders. Uh, and and there, there were plenty uh, of, of great players last night, but JT from Seymour, a little behind the curtain, so we made the announcements, and we put the, I'm putting the green jacket on him last night on the stage, and he's telling me, he's like, I'm with Seymour, and he's telling me that because the, one of the grand prizes is the Seymour putter. <laughs> and I, he goes, give it to someone else, give it to second place. Well, I didn't have the second place finisher in front of me. 
Yeah. From Top Golf. So I was like, just go along with it. We'll figure this out as we put the uh, the green jacket on him. But uh, we ended up getting the Seymour putter to our second place uh, winner last night at the end. It was and great. And we're talking a lot about winners. Uh, we'll have one of the night's big losers on in our second hour. Oh. Austin Price, uh, <laughs> who played two slots in the tournament. I, I, I'm not speaking for Austin. I think he was terribly disappointed. End of the night, the Peter Millar uh, wardrobe was uh, disheveled. Uh, He seemed like a broken man. Correct me, guys, if I'm wrong. Uh, It was riding the war room. He was crumpled over, and it seemed like uh, Top Golf had broken him. Yeah, and even uh, Brad Lampley, our our attorney in in VFL, uh, was standing behind Austin at one point, and I was talking to him. And they're good buddies, but Brad pointed out, you know, for as much as this guy plays, I was expecting more <laughs> tonight. He said, for as much as he says he I plays think, and talks about playing, I, was I think he psyched himself out a little bit. I, I, see, he played two spots. He played his spot. I thought he was hitting the ball great. And they had I'm, a not, guy. I'm not very good at golf. Didn't so score anyone, great. like Jacob, to me, uh, you know, could be Brooks Kepka. Right. You know, the way I'm watching him hit a golf well, I ball. I was given. And I thought the same about uh, You're his Austin. Bryson DeChambeau. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. There are some similarities there. I'll start wearing the hat in every day. Um, but uh, – there's a weird giddy-up in Austin's backswing. Got a little hitch to it. Yeah, but it's like a, it's it's almost like a Barkley-esque oh, hitch a little pause. that he has. But the actual swing is good, and he hits it straight for the most part. Now, I, we did, uh, Regan McCross and our production assistant and I, were going from bay to bay. And at one point, it may have been during that one, we get up to Austin, and we're putting the pressure on every golfer. Sure. And asking them, all right, where are you aiming? What are you trying to do? And then they'll hit on camera. And got to Austin. I think he hit two slices. And Pretty bad. Pissed, like it hit right? far, but it pissed. was two bad slices. Yeah. I was giving him a hard time because he was playing two balls in their group because John Jay didn't show up. Mm. And I went over and I said, my favorite golfer here is John Jay. I love that guy. Where is he? And Austin was already like sitting down writing the war room. And he's like, he didn't show up. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I know he didn't show up. You were playing his, uh, playing his ball. That was my favorite. And I'm like, oh, no, the score actually wasn't that good. And he... Well, he was having no part of it. Like, I get it. If it's your thing, you can tell yourself over and over, like, I'm, I'm just there for fun. Yeah. I'm not going to get upset about it. I'm not going to get overly competitive. If we did a horse tournament and I went out there and couldn't hit a single yeah. shot, it would bother me. Yes, yes. Even if I went into it and said, oh, it's fun, it's this, that. If golf was my thing... And I got there and was terrible. I don't think he on was the terrible. night that it was. No, I think he, he wasn't just terrible. wasn't great. No. But you know what I mean. Like if, would... if I was disappointing, right. then even if I told myself it's all for fun, it doesn't matter, I would still be a little bit well disappointed. Austin showed up to win. Yeah, that, that's why it was disappointing right. for him. And they didn't. Uh, they well, didn't win places. Show no. We will uh, we'll chat more about them. That's coming up in an hour. Jacob, for the do you have power hour. Uh, either of those pieces of art? Do you have David Reed or uh, one Jacob Swanson swinging? Uh, not yet. Well, we will have that momentarily, including yeah. during the, during our first break. We will have the uh, a couple of uh, montages uh, and promos from last night, uh, and we'll get Austin and Brent to recap their evening from the Volquest Bay, which was Weeping Cherry, uh, <laughs> hole number nine, and Weeping Austin and Weeping John Jay, <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, can we just the, the the Top Golf like the whole concept of it? is so simple but brilliant like it i think it takes really? I, I i was told like 40 million to open up one of those facilities top to bottom with all the technology and the infrastructure and everything involved there but you know nashville's got the cowan that's connected to it vegas has certain things every every top golf has its own little special thing flare. about it uh, yeah they'll flare about the the city that it's in um it is a bowling alley for for golf where you can go and anybody of any skill level can have a blast. And this isn't a promo for Topgolf, just as it is, just speaking the, the honest truth. Why why could we not come up with that? It's so simple, brilliant concept where you have these targets, and on the surface where you think about it outside looking in, oh, I'm not a very good golfer, I can't hit these targets. But then you realize, like, half the time you're going to hit a slice and it's going to go in a target you weren't aiming for. So you're going to get points and I you feel like also, a winner. I think also we've yeah. all been to crappy driving ranges and thought, like, yeah. why can't there be a good driving range? And it would only be two more steps to say, why can't there be, like, this high-tech, phenomenal yes. driving range with some electronic scoring? Swanson was having such a good time last night, I, I said to him, this is not going to be your last time at Top Golf, And he's like... 
Yeah, I think I'm on to something. Well, that was that was Jacob's <laughs> first time. This is new dark. Austin Price. That was his first time at a Top Golf. Yeah, Austin's too busy playing Augusta National. Oh, yes. a PPC course That's right. somewhere to mess around with Top Golf. It is one of those. I need to I need to research the Top Golf story more about whoever created it and came up with it and, and how they went about doing it. Because I'm with you, Hutton. I see something like that and say it's so simplistic, and it, I, it kills me that. You're not the one who just said, hey, I'm going to do this once mm -hmm. somewhere. It's based in Columbus, Ohio, I believe. I think that's right. Yeah. And uh, just do it once. But whoever had the idea to set up once and say, okay, this is something we can franchise and make a bunch. Not even franchise, just build a bunch on your own. It's, it's remarkable. And got, it's, it never disappoints. I mean, every time we're there, it's always fun. Something similar. David Reed will know the details. We'll need to get into it uh, with him when he's back in our presence. There's some similar idea for batting cage kind of thing, and I don't know what it is Ooh. exactly, but that might be the next thing. You know, V-Love chimes in on our discussion, though, and says it's still uh, inexcusable how they built Top Golf facing away from downtown Nashville. Yeah. Well, it's I've based never on thought the, about that. Maybe it's based the sun's on the sun. in your eyes. You don't want to be driving into the sun, so it's pointing a specific direction for that reason. Man, but that would be a nice uh, view to yeah. have. I'd, I'd probably put up with the sun. Well, the sunset was off to the left last yeah. night. We, we mentioned the, the views. Oh. Like Everything was off to the left of us, and it's positioned that way for that reason. There is also, I think, on like the second floor bar area, it faces out. There is like a patio area that goes that, and faces downtown Nashville yeah. also. I remember being um, there outside at one point. Favorite silent auction item last night for you guys, perusing? Uh, there was a Tattoo You Rolling Stones uh, thing yeah. signed by four or all five members of the band from before Bill Wyman's retirement that I, I liked a lot. I like the Jack Nicholson yeah. poster. Yeah, I did too. Uh, I guess it was autographed. I didn't even see yeah, it. But I, just yeah, liked yeah. The I saw somebody carrying that around at the end of the no. night. Uh, they also had a, a very random Lady Gaga, <laughs> an autographed item from her. Or some would say Lady Gaga. And I, I was just, I was intrigued by how she signs her name. Like, is it Gaga? Is it, you know, GG? Like, what, what does it? she do? It was just, it was, it was like a doctor's signature, you know? Yeah. Like, scribbled. It'd be even better if she did cool it in items. print, like Paul's high school guys at Ravenwood. Just yeah. Lady Gaga <laughs> in big block letters. Like a child. Gaga. Yeah. A lot to get to over the first <laughs> first hour. Go, go, ga, ga. Julio Jones is in Nashville, and he was at the voluntary work yesterday. We will get PK's thoughts on his debut, wearing number two for the Tennessee Titans on the practice field. Uh, we get into the 12-team college football playoff that's expected to be uh, something that is coming down the pike for college football. All of that and more coming up. But first manscape.com they get it done and they get it done for father's day proper grooming requires precision engineer tools for your family jewels and father's day coming up the weather catching heat whether you have a dad bod or if you're rocking a six-pack like david reed make sure you and your dad smell great and you're groomed for where it matters most perfect for father's day the all-new trimmer the Lawnmower 4.0 with the refined cologne by Manscaped. They've also got the additional guard link sizes one through four. New wireless charging system with that Lawnmower 4.0. You cannot go wrong if you make this your Father's Day gift. And the man of the house deserves to smell like a king. The cologne, it's a perfect complement to the collection. It's light, it's approachable, gentlemanly, all in the right ways. And that deal, Paul, hits you all in the what right ways. about the price? Use code OK360 at manscaped.com. OK360, 20% off, and they meet my demand. Free shipping. Manscaped.com. Use the code OK360, 20% off, and free shipping. Outkick 360 is back, and David Reed was the best-dressed man at Top Golf last night. Hair Metal Henry was a close second with he, Pap's Blue Ribbon, I believe. Yeah, he bought that from shorts. the John Daly store. Okay. <laughs> That's what he told me. Shout out John Daly. Uh, here is David Reed's attire with wrestlers on the shirt. Can we zoom in on that at all? And there's the beautiful sunset off to yes. the left at Top Golf. Um, this you have, is art. Yeah, you have that some, entire picture, and you can tell that the the artwork uh, of David Reed, who clearly <laughs> took this out of the package and put it on. He did. No, he told me he took a silicon <laughs> packet out of the pocket when he was getting dressed. <laughs> the the folds 
are, are that of what Chad Withrow did in college. That is. Yes. The polo yeah, I can I can get I can get that bad boy folded and on display quickly. The guy, uh, uh, the thing is not just the fashion sense, but also you know he didn't spend a lot of money on Mm-mm. it. So he, he, no, he's brilliant. a thrifty purchaser. This is like when he did the polar plunge with me and he had the singlet. Yeah. Um, it's just I would have preferred him in a singlet last oh, night. Oh, me to be too. Honest. You that always prefer him in a singlet. That would be great. We are two for two, by the way, in this event where the the the, mas- the green jacket that that I purchased for the event is a one size fits all, meaning it's a very small jacket. Uh, we barely fit into it, and if if we were to like move our arms forward, it's so tight it would rip down the seam in the back. But we're two for two on the winners fitting in the jacket perfectly. Um, in the, the jacket presentation, it's almost as though we had it sized for them. Yeah, and it was I, not a small man who won it. No. Uh, he was a tall guy. Yeah, but slender. Yeah. And I'm, I, I want David Reed to win this jacket or eventually, or maybe I get a, a, a fake version. Well, it's and, like the Chris Farley song. Yeah, then he, you know, guy in a little coat. he can rip the jacket coat. for us. David Reed, um, watching his swing, a couple things. One, remarkable his back held up uh, throughout the night because he was swinging more <laughs> than the rest of us. He's probably sore today. But two, <laughs> he's sore every he's day. Got that, he's, he's got that extra softball. sore today. <laughs> he's got that little slow pitch softball leg hitch. Yeah. Like he kind of steps, his knee bends a little bit when he goes back, like he's stepping into a, a pitch, which is fun to watch. He was having a good time. You, you could see the wheels turning in his head about that. Athlete he once was and yes. still yes. ho- uh, dreams of being. <laughs> what do you mean once was? <laughs> uh, speaking of athletes, there was a thoroughbred on the field yesterday for the Titans for the first time. Um, Julio Jones on the practice field. Paul, we didn't expect him to be at the voluntary work, but there he was. Yeah, it's a really good sign. Look, when, uh, when a guy of this magnitude joins your team and busts it to be out there ASAP, um, and, you know, there was a, there was a guy, I, I don't know who it was, I think it was a defensive back, giving the Titans team photographer grief at the end when he's running sprints. But, you know, you know, there was more than one player out here today. And uh, the team photographer, you know, stood up to him and said, I- I'm actually shooting everyone. And he did, you know, it's his job. He put out a, a photo album of everyone. But for the rest of us, no, there wasn't really more than one player out there. You know, we were out there. To, the, 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 there was a star attraction at who practice yesterday, who, who making his debut. Wasn't a high-ranking guy, as far as, as, far as uh, I can tell. a weird complaint to have in a workout. Yeah, you should be happy that <laughs> the Julio team Jones photographer's is, is, not shooting enough people. Uh, you're paying attention to that. Yeah, um, GTFO. But <laughs> trade that guy. <laughs> that like, I, I'm sorry, I'd cut that guy immediately if I heard him talking on the practice field about. Hey, you need to be filming up. Acknowledge oh, me. Acknowledge us. Give me a break. Come the, on. Um, what you wanted to see was a, uh, a healthy guy, and he yep. was a healthy guy. Um, he said afterwards, you know, I tried to come back too fast from the hamstring last year, and that caused me problems. Uh, you know, said he's fine. Uh, look, there's plenty of video out there. I shot video of him. It was only the individual period was open, which was like thir- 13 minutes um, beyond stretch. Uh, he moved very well. Uh, he gobbles up space with his, his strides. You know, he was making sharp cuts. Um, he, was, he was very effective. There's, there's one play that really, uh, you know, to me kind of summarized him going against a, a show offense that's just, uh, show defense that's just offensive guys wearing vests, basically, to distinguish themselves. They're just there to to hold positions, so to speak. But it wouldn't have mattered if there was real offense. He was coming out of the slot very fast, made a sharp move to the post, collected Tannehill's pass, got his feet down, which, you know, was a tight fit at, at, at the post. Um, I don't think the defender would have mattered anything. I, I watched that play, and I said, that's Julio Jones. Um, you know, you said thoroughbred. I mean, he looked every bit the part. He looked energized. He looked healthy. Um, he looked well beyond the second best wide receiver there. In this case, it was it was Josh Reynolds because AJ Brown's still rehabbing in some capacity. So you know, it's a June day of an OTA that doesn't mean that much if you're just standing on the sideline there. If you rise up and look at it. You know, down in terms of what it means for the organization, there's a lot more to it. Well, and most of the time, we we wouldn't give this much credence uh, and, and much talk on the show. Motivational motivational factors 
for a player, uh, especially of his caliber. But the, the talk, the, the part of the chatter this week has been what type, what type of mindset is Julio Jones coming into town with after the trade? Hungry. And it is clear the guy is motivated to prove he's healthy, and at 32 years old, he still has a lot of years left and a lot of wear and, and on, on the tread of the tires. Hungry, maybe hangry. You know, he spoke fondly of the Falcons and was very yeah. diplomatic. But, you know, clearly you, you're going to want to prove stuff. My angle That's largely... That's a great title for your next article, by yeah. the way. Hungry, maybe even hangry yeah. is great. Uh, my angle is largely, like, he's worked his whole career with Matt Ryan, who missed one start in that whole 10 years. You know, there was probably some mop-up time. But he's caught the vast majority of his receptions from Matt Ryan. Now he needs to build a re- relationship with Ryan Tannehill in short order. As does, by the way, Josh Reynolds, who finally got to full speed work this week. You know, and Josh Reynolds was even talking about, you know, I got to measure out my stride length compared to other guys that Tannehill's used to in terms of getting into the spots that he wants me in. They have work to do in terms of that. That, you know, Julio Jones said it won't take that long, but you never know, you know, and there's still. You know, what are the odds that you see a play early in the season where somebody breaks one way and the ball's thrown somewhere else and you say, oh, that's just a lack of familiarity or they're not on the same page? You see that a lot of times, even with guys who are very good and have worked together a lot of time early in the season with a new playbook wrinkle or whatever. The Titans obviously want to avoid that as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And that's Julio Jones and Ryan Tannehill and Josh Reynolds working together a lot, talking a lot, meeting a lot, throwing a lot, all of those things. That's why Jones's good health is important because he'll be out there doing those things instead of inside like A.J. is, which doesn't matter because A.J. Mm. and Tannehill are just fine. That's a really important relationship. Yeah, yeah and they've been out to dinner. They've talked. And, um, you know, all eyes are going to be on that, and justifiably so. What did Vrabel say? What did the head coach say about Julio's debut and, and all of the – the attention paid to it. He said, look, it's a, uh, everybody's excited. You know, we're excited. The franchise is excited. The media is unseasonably uh, upbeat today. But we've got to get to work. You know, it's not about the move you just made. It's about what you do. And we've got to do stuff now. So, you know, basically said, like, this isn't the end of anything. This is the beginning of stuff. And we've got to go now do stuff with what we have. Otherwise, it's meaningless. You know, I, I, A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, and we're getting people in our YouTube chat right now asking about this. Outkick360, subscribe to that page, by the way. Um, they, I, I really do believe, this can kind of be cliche, but they're not the cliche diva wide receiver types. They are thoroughbreds, as Hutton put it, both those guys. They have an alpha mentality about them. But I really do believe that both of them lack the diva quality. The diva quality shrinking around the league, really. If you look at what happened yeah. to Antonio Brown, what did he have to do? He had to right. come back to but, normalcy. But the point being, I, I think... He you needed know, Brady. But there's also, you know, there's diva, there's Antonio Brown, and there's also a number one wide receiver who wants all of the, the, the looks, all the... All the throw, the ball's going their way, right? They, they want it all. I don't get the sense that either of these guys are going to have an issue with one game where one guy's going to have the big game. That, you see my right, point they, with yeah, this? I think like, they both know. I think it's genuine, their actual affection for each other, and yeah. they just want to win. When Tolio Jones says that, it can come across as, well, everyone's going to say that. I'm about wins. I'm not about stats. How many times have we heard that from players? I believe it with Julio Jones. It's all – I mean – that's. It sounds great to hear him say he's not worried about the targets. He's worried about wins and losses and, you know, postseason. He's going to get plenty of targets, though, and he knows that, right? Yeah. Like, he and A.J. Brown both. And uh, to, to what Chad is saying, I think there is a – A.J. Brown looks up to Julio so much that if Julio ends up with a number of targets more than A.J. Brown, he's okay with that. Right, he's he defers to the veteran who has set the pace for the last decade in the league, and look, that, that would be expected. It's a little bit corny. You guys know this isn't in my wheelhouse by any means, but I also like I get it at the beginning of this about two, which was the last question he was asked. You know, he said, "Well, you know, <clears throat> one plus one is two, and that's that's uh, uh, AJ's number, and that's his number. I don't want it. it's his number." <laughs> 
22 is 11 times 2. He said, you know, we don't have Tannehill's 17 really factored in there, but all of us together is what it's going to take to make this work. And he kind of made the plays on those numbers all tied together, 22, 11, and 2. So, I mean, if you want to get into it, it's not my thing, but there's a lot of meshing of all of that that goes on that they're buying into. There it is in, in practice, you know. It's, it seems to me it's going to be tough to not make this work offensively. I mean, we're going to spend a lot of time this offseason getting ready for the season talking mm-hmm. about the Titans' changes on defense and how that's going to improve. But I see this group, and I think it's tough to mess that up. It is tough to mess up the personnel they have right now. Obviously, injuries can change all that, and Darrell, we don't even need to say that. But with the group they have right now, I, new offensive coordinator and all, I think it's pretty tough to mess things up. Well, I really like what you said earlier this week, which I think is something I'll build on writing-wise. Uh, it's tough for Downing to, to mess up. He's got a lot of room. And he's still, got multiple look, right decisions yeah, to make. And if you look, at Bowen, if you look make. at Bowen, he's still got to definitely find right things and not do the wrong thing. Downing doesn't have to worry nearly as much about doing the wrong thing. Well, we saw growing pain. This is where Downing, I don't think we'll, we'll see this or we shouldn't. We saw growing pains a little bit with Lafleur. Well, with LaFleur, and then somewhat with Arthur Smith through the first month and a half of his play-calling tenure. He became very good, but there was rumblings that Arthur wasn't the right pick for the offensive coordinator position through the first month of everybody trying to gel. Now, but he also had was, the wrong quarterback. Of course. But there, there, there were some growing pains with both of the last two offensive coordinators that have become head coaches. There should not be much of that with this group. You would hope not. And, uh, you know, they can't, they, they can't afford it. They've they got to dart out. Because we're talking about how thick the AFC is with contenders. Yes. And you don't have a, and they play a lot of them eventually. But, but keep in mind, you know, this is a team that is built, and I pointed out Julio's postseason numbers. They, I'm, I'm thinking more about what this team building means in December, January, and potentially February of next year. Keep in mind, Tampa Bay got off to a very slow start last year. Yeah. I mean, it took them a while to gel. No offseason, a little bit different. I know Brady got his crew together, but it's it was just different with the COVID offseason. Um, it's back to more of a normal flow and measure and tempo now. So I, I'm not expecting a lot of miscommunication and, and fall not off. Not on offense. Yeah, had, right, you know, right. Tampa Bay had much more dramatic change on offense. Sure. <clears throat> um, th- this offense has had... Addition wise, what are we looking at position wise? Uh, two receivers mm-hmm. and and a right tackle really as the, as the change up uh, and still keyed around Derrick Henry, and so a lot of the base and the quarterbacks the same. A lot of the fundamental things remain the same and should be built upon. It's the defense where there's a lot of transition going on. Dusty writes into the show on Twitter at Outkick Three Sixties where you can interact with us. He asks. What about Josh Reynolds, though? To me, it seemed like he was a little upset about all the love for Julio in his interview when he came here to be the number two. He was not upset. And uh, listen, he wasn't the guy that was asking the team photographer to take more shots. No, of? he wasn't. Okay. <laughs> when you're, when you're, I'm going to get the name out of Paul at some point. Who said that? Listen, when you're Josh Reynolds, um, how dare you? <laughs> people have this misperception that when you sign as a guy like Josh Reynolds, if you're not a tip top guy. When you sign, there's no guarantee of what you are. I think you're almost mistaken this for like college recruitment. Like we're signing you and you're assured of starting as our running back or whatever, and that's how we lure you. And then even colleges back off of some of those promises, right? Josh Reynolds was guaranteed nothing when he came here except the guaranteed money on his contract. You know, if they sign somebody better or somebody beats him out, he gets it on a pro football team. If you're not, you know, the very best guy uh, coming in, uh, then you've got to earn your spot. Josh Reynolds has to earn his spot. And Josh Reynolds will be better yeah. as a third wide yeah, receiver on this I, team with Julio Jones in I, I it I think he's than looking he at it like be. my job just got easier when, when they trade he for Julio Jones. He should benefit in a great that's, deal. Yeah, that's he knows he's getting single coverage. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think he seemed upset. I mean, he did talk about, like, yeah, it's in the back of your mind sometimes, you know, that, that there's, a, there's a lot of hype about these two guys and you're not included i'm paraphrasing now which i think is human nature so i applaud that he didn't act like no this is nothing 
You know, obviously it's something. It's, there's big news at his position. I would hate for a guy. I hate a guy that goes, oh, no, yeah, big news at my position. Uh, what? Did something happen? I, I didn't hear. Uh, you know, I hate guys that pretend like that. But this is, will be good for Josh Reynolds. And he's also turned ankle away or a hamstring from, from being right there. Well, Josh, Josh Reynolds is brought in to win a one-on-one matchup. And he's going to get now, instead of the second corner, or help over the top potentially in basic coverages. Um, he's getting the to, third corner. He's getting the third corner in the matchup week to week. And he should win that matchup. He, that's what he was paid to do when the Titans brought him in here. And that's what he did last year that's with what, Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. That's what Ferkser should do. It is what Darrington Evans should do on third down. I mean, these guys should win one-on-one matchups. By the way, uh, while you mentioned Ferkser, uh, Vrabel with a surprisingly candid answer about the tight ends saying that Ferkser is, is the third down slash red zone tight end pretty much and that the other guys have to sort it out. Uh, maybe he's kind of leaving Swaim out of the conversation because Swaim hasn't been there. Uh, but that the other guys really won't be sorted out until they're in pads at camp. But making it sound like, you know, Ferkser's the pass-catching third-down red zone guy. And Which isn't other, a surprise. No, but acknowledging it yeah. and, and kind of saying that's his role. And they, these other guys are fighting it out for, for opportunities to be part of the early down stuff blocking, basically. Uh, which is what we know. I wrote today about the tight ends, and a lot of people are like, it doesn't matter if you don't have a good tight end now based on uh, what you have. Titans ran the most two tights, according to Warren Sharp. I was looking at these stats this morning. 35% too tight last year, uh, tied for the highest percentage, most snaps uh, in the league. So they're coming off of that for sure, but how far are they coming off Was of that? Was the other Baltimore? I'm trying to think of the other uh, offenses. I, 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 it'll take they a would second. be very high. I'll have it. But, they would be uh, very high on that list. They're coming off of that, but they're not going to be. Titans also were 9% uh, three tight, 100 snaps of, of three tight. So, uh, you know, this idea that they're going to just uh, never do it again uh, is, is kind of crazy. They'll still run some too tight. While, while I'm thinking of this for, for OTA purposes, um, Danico Autry, is he, was he always scheduled to be there this week? I, I don't know, but he was there and he got some uh, exclusive time with Vrabel working one-on-one uh, yep. -on -one with him, which is always nice to see. The Titans were, oh goodness, I'm sorry, give me a second. Yeah, uh, Vrabel was with Autry who was there, uh, and there were some uh, odd absences, like, uh, and so you don't know what's happening. Like, Cam Batson and Nick Westbrook-Akina haven't been around lately, which strikes it me as It was Nick Westbrook-Akina that was upset <laughs> because he was going to be the number two receiver, and then when they traded for Julio Jones, it knocked him out of his number two receiver perch, and now he's not showing up. Janoris Jenkins we haven't seen lately. Or, no, we haven't seen at all. Christian Fulton wasn't there, and he has been. Um, Jeremy McNichols has missed a little bit. We haven't seen Bud Dupree yet who would be inside. He might be inside. Sam Brilo has not been there the last couple times. Saffold, Lawan, Jared Pinckney, who continues to be absent for inexplicable uh, reasons. Uh, if, if there's a legitimate reason, he should have somebody. He should be tweeting it. And Jeff Swain hasn't been, hasn't been around. Guys? The 12-team college football playoff could be happening sooner rather than later. Uh, we, we mentioned this a bit yesterday about how the, the thought is that this is going to get pushed through and approved, at least to an 18 playoff. Chad and I were having the discussion, should we see a push for more of a 12, 14, maybe eventually a 16-team playoff? Um, but because the Power Five conferences, much like the lower tier, the, the group of five, they, they want a chance to get in the postseason playoff because of the monetary value there. They want one team in. But, Chad, the, the Power Five group, think about how many teams the SEC or the Big Ten can put into a college football playoff now and what that would mean monetarily for the entire conference. So in, to get into the, the weeds of the proposal of what, what's out there, it's the top, it's the six highest ranked conference champions are in. Mm -hmm. That is half of the field right there. So that is by the college football playoff ranking. If they went with this a year ago, you know, you said one. That guarantees one group of five team will right. get in because right. you've got one conference outside the Power Five. If they went with this last year, two would have been in automatically, Cincinnati and Coastal Carolina. 
because they were ranked higher than Oregon, who was 25th as the Pac-12 champion. Wow. So you would have had two of those uh, teams automatically get in. I think it's is great. Oregon out last year, or is Oregon no? Getting? Oregon would have been in. Uh, no, actually, no. It would have been those two. They 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 would have been out because the rest would have been at large uh, after that. So based Oregon, on the poll, Oregon as the Pac-12 champion would have been out based on this uh, based on this poll. So uh, or based on the college football rankings. Look, I think it's a good thing. We hit on it yesterday. You get more teams more interested in the top prize as the year goes on. Is this going to change the fact that? When you've had the, the top four since 2014, 40 of the 48 spots have been filled by Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma. So right. are those four teams going away? No. Um, are there going to be teams simply playing for the top goal being getting in the playoff because they're not going to win a national championship even if they get in? Yes. That's going to be the case for a Coastal Carolina or Cincinnati, let's say a year ago. But I think anything, and we see this in professional sports, when you can keep more fan bases interested longer into a season, the way they're going to be able to with the 12-team playoff, I think it's good for the sport, and you open up the possibility for a big upset. Now, the top four are still going to get a bye uh, to the quarterfinals. So it stays with that top four where they get the benefit, and it's going to be 5 versus 12, 6 versus 11, 7 versus 10, 8 versus 9. I like the fact that they're going to play it on a home field. I do too. The, the first, like I like that you're getting an extra home game, so five will host twelve, six will host eleven, on down the line. I, I think it's I think it's good for college football. You can debate one way or the other. I know people are mad that oh, it's a participation trophy for the group of five because you can't tell me that Texas A&M or another SEC team isn't better than the best group of five champion. I, I would say, is it really that bad for college sports? If you're giving at least one group of five champion, putting them into that playoff, it's not bad. And, and I said it yesterday, I'll say it again. If you're not going to allow for this, then just make it a different conference altogether. Right. Let them play for a different national title. The group of five can join up, and it can be somewhere in between FCS and FBS. And then FBS is just the power five. This is the best way to do it in the current structure where you have MTSU competing for the same national championship as Alabama. If you're going to do that, then give them a way to at least get into the party. I So I'm struck by a couple things. Um, first off, a lot of people automatically, I comment, you guys sent out a clip yesterday. We sent out a clip with you guys talking about it. I retweeted it with a comment. It's much better to uh, yeah, I, that I that I approve, and some people came back at me and said, "Oh, now there's going to be an argument about, you know, the last team in and this as opposed to the last team." It's much better to argue about who the twelfth best team yes. is than to argue about who the fourth best team is. How are you equivocating these two things? They're not the same. Arguing about thirteen and twelve, and and somebody losing out in thirteen and twelve, sure that'll be sad for somebody, but it's thirteen and twelve. It's not four and five. That's much better to be missing at 12 and 13 than it is to be missing at 4 and 5. So that's the first thing. Especially, especially with some of the blowouts that we see as it currently sits right, right now where we're arguing over who's the 4, who's the 5, and then we get to a semifinal and it's not much of a game. Right. Now, we, we've had some decent matchups, but those are few and far between. Well, here's where I'm going with this. This has a little bit of a March Madness thing, looking at what ha would have happened last year, right? Yes. I think the first yes. round... Could have been great. Maybe some of these games would have been duds. Cincinnati, Georgia's 8-9. I think that game happened. That game happened, and, yeah. And it wasn't good, right? Notre Dame. pretty good. Uh, Georgia won, but it was close. Okay. Georgia, I mean, sorry, Notre Dame, Coastal Carolina. I would have been curious. And there's a buzz about Coastal Carolina right. there where, yeah. Florida, Iowa State, good matchup. Yep. Texas A&M, Indiana. I would have been very curious Solid. about Indiana, right? Those are all good games. Now the problem comes in the next round. Cincinnati, Georgia winner against Alabama, right, but probably not good. Oklahoma against Notre Dame or Coastal Carolina, probably not good. Clemson against Florida, Iowa State, probably not good. Ohio State against Texas A&M or Indiana, those games are less likely to be good than oh, the ones I mentioned first. But those are they're, they're, they're less likely to be good right now anyway. Anyway, right. So you buy yourself a good round. 
Then maybe there's a bad round. Then you get to the semifinals, and they're semifinals. And then you get to right? Alabama Clemson. Yeah. So <laughs> well, I'll take. It's, just a, bi- it's a bigger wind up to yeah. Alabama Clemson right. or Alabama Ohio State. But I'll take that more fascinating first round, knowing that the second round might be duds. Well, because in time, that first round might get more competitive, and some of those teams getting into that first round could build their program. If a Cincinnati or a, a Central Florida is in that a couple times in a couple years, they can recruit better, blah, 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 and then all of a sudden they get in the second round and they pick, pick somebody off. Well, there's and then also, they can grow into something. There's also a malaise right now reading through some of these matchups. Let's just hypothetically say Cincinnati Georgia is a good example. You know, we, we get that matchup, but what are they playing for ultimately? You know, what's the motivation of both teams in a, in a situation like that? Texas A&M, Indiana. Now you put them in a, a college football playoff setting where you're going to a home campus instead of just a neutral site, random Gator Bowl or wherever they're I mean, there's there's more energy to this matchup now than what is currently set up. Even though in Vegas and everywhere else we've been betting at FanDuel that the, the next round that they would advance to they're not going to perform very well against Alabama. The They're not thing, going to perform very well against Clemson. And the other thing is, if you take those games and just make them random bowl games, what does Vegas look at? You hear the, the Vegas people, and they're saying, who wants to be in this game right. more? Right. Well, everybody wants to be in this first-round game. That spread's going to be based on who they think's going to win a tightly competitive game, a game that both teams are dying to win. Not a game where guys are looking about getting home for Christmas or whatever. Well, and, so, by the and way, think about the battle for 8-9 being able to home, so, host a oh, game. Let's huge. get into that because 8-9 was Georgia-Cincinnati. They played. Georgia won 24-21 on a last-second field goal. That game was much better yeah, than much I, better I, than I remember. remember, too. Uh, so, dramatic fashion. But you mentioned it, Hutton. Now take that game that's not a Peach Bowl exhibition right, right. game, and it's Georgia at Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. That's compelling. Changes the spread. It, it changes everything. And here's the other good thing about it. We get into November now, and everyone's – it's just a foregone conclusion. Ohio State's going to be the Big Ten rep. Uh, it's going to be Alabama or Florida, maybe both, depending on if they went out and who loses. And You're looking at two, maybe three teams that are even in the discussion for a playoff spot. No in the, in the in big, And I'm talking SEC Big Ten for the most part, the two power conferences of the Power Five. Well, now you get to Cincinnati, there's going to be four or five teams in those conferences that you could realistically look at a route into the playoff. That helps. That's that's a third of your conference that suddenly has not just bowl aspirations to play for, but could possibly win a national title if they play their way in, and you're keeping more fans interested deeper into the season. I don't this. understand the case against having more important, more games that are important as opposed to having fewer games that are important. Well, the been, only people I, against I, this would be like the Peach Bowl people. But, Paul, keep in mind, for years, the college football playoff has been making that argument. We're at four. It's where it needs to be, blah, blah, blah. And they finally are you know, getting back to you know the reality of what – I mean, the fans, to me, are on board with this. I hear some fans with that argument about the four or five being the same as 12, 13. I can't stand it. The, well, the, the argument that I hear from people, and I think it's kind of an odd argument, you know, for years it was, well, the regular season matters most in college football. So we want every regular season game to matter. Now you're devaluing the regular season by adding this many teams. And I'm, no, I'm thinking, no, it doesn't. You're just, I mean, the regular season, those 12 games obviously still matter to have a shot at getting into a 12 team playoff, just like they did before. Home field is at stake. A bye is at stake. There are a lot of stakes still. And you can't tell me uh, uh, those rivalry games and conference games are going to mean any less. What are people going to sit people? Or, I mean, it's still big. It's still big. But, uh, Chad, you, you understand where I'm coming from. Year after year after year, we talk with Bill Hancock down at the SEC media days or at any college football function. And even before the college football playoff, uh, we're, we're, we're discussing, should we have a playoff? Should we get to you know, the, the CFP um, uh, instead of the BCS? And he would spit the company line. And now they have shifted into... The quote from Bill Hancock, this proposal at its heart was created to create more participation for schools and more players. What's prompted it? In a nutshell, 
that's the working group's message: more participation. He's talk, uh, What's prompted it is the tip, the television revenue that that's going to bad. Make though he shouldn't use more participation, knowing that people are going to jump on the participation trophy idea. I think that's a poor choice of words that exposes them to to critics. It gives the critics, the potential critics, something to latch onto and use. I think that's poor phrasing. Poor yeah, choice. Uh, but we know what he's getting to. He's getting. To, they're they're going to sell the idea that you're you now have a more chance. of a chance to win a national championship, which is I true. I mean, that's well, that is true. But saying and more participation is, is yeah. chum in the water for the people who want to well, bash them. That's fair. The argument against was, we can't ask these kids to play more games. You know, that was the, that was the old woe is me, uh, bleeding heart, these kids are not getting paid argument, right? Well, now we're not going to – so for you to make more money, we're going to ask you to play more games. Where the FCS level has played those games for years. And most of those kids aren't turning pro. Well, isn't this replacing right? a that, bowl The game? lower level. So, I mean, I that's – uh, eight teams will play more games, mm-hmm. uh, but some are just going to replace a bowl game with the first sure. round game. Four of them. The, the one and dones. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it also, um, we're, I think we're going to start seeing a natural weeding out process of bowl games. But that, that you said the Peach Bowl people are going to be upset. That's where it's going to sure. trickle down is there's going to be some bowls that don't survive. Yeah, but but th- which they should they be, should have been dead a long time. There ago. will be other bowls that will be revitalized for this because you get more there's more participation includes the bowl matchups. So you, you're now adding a couple of bowl venues. Yeah, that get into the rotation of the college football playoff instead of rotating four every of four them, years. Right? They jump in now every two. Also, now don't let teams, the Rose Bowl screw to, up the scheduling for this well, whole thing. That's teams one get thing to move I, up the pecking order. Sure. Yes. You know, if you finish 25th in the country. You're playing in the Rose Bowl if they're not in the rotation. I mean, you're, you see what I'm saying? You're moving up because teams ahead of you in the conference that are in that top 12 are going to go, and that you're replacing them in a higher-level bowl game. So it kind of moves everyone up the pecking order. Coming up, Paul had a revelation last night, and it's an, maybe it's an example of the softening. That I, the production, I fear it is. The, pro, the production assistants don't fear him. That's, uh, that's, tr- that's straight ahead. We uh we need to get into this because Paul was enlightened last night, Chad. This is a change I, that I don't love. I was enlightened. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> also enlightening, MyDrHank.com. Make America hard again. MyDrHank.com has been doing that since 2017. Look, erectile dysfunction affects over half of all men. It does not have to make you feel like half of a man. My Dr. Hank helps you get low-cost ED meds and overcome the psychological and emotional barriers to getting ED treatment. Well, and you heard the statistics, it affects over half of men, so you shouldn't feel bad about it. But if you want this to be discreet, they can ship it to you discreetly, and they're going to ship it to you from a pharmacy in the United States of America. And you shouldn't feel bad about the price. 50% off your first subscription order. If you go to mydrhank.com outkick, sign up, you get 50% off your first subscription order. MyDrHank.com slash Outkick. You can get this for as low as $2 a pill from MyDrHank.com slash Outkick. Outkick 360 and coming up, BallQuest.com and the Tennessee Power Hour. Uh, but first, Paul, the the production assistants do not fear you. Yeah. And you found this out last night. Yeah, I, I, I'm disappointed. <laughs> I mean, there was a time where our interns kind of tiptoed around or at least had to win me over. Not that this group hasn't won me over, but uh, we were with... They're so good. It's, we were with some friends last night, and they were asking uh, the production assistants if I was mean. And they said, no, and I'm okay with that. I don't want to be known as mean. And then they said, are you scared of him? And they didn't like him and haw and then say no. They were like, no. I was like, well, damn. I mean, <laughs> I need them to be scared of me a little. And then I thought, you know, I've only really had w- one small exchange when Jake was just chatting it up like crazy over there with Jake up the other day when Chad and I were trying to watch a video and get some things done. And I had to tell Jake, like, hey, you and Jacob can, you know, have your coffee. Well, he said, Jake, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but even that was very polite for you. Yeah. Jake, please. It wasn't yeah. very polite. So, Jake, was, in I the mean, future, I will go much harder so that you are scared of me. Because we need you much more on brand, please. I need production assistance to fear me. And this has been a big slip-up on my part, and yeah. I feel dejected. If they, if they sucked, they would fear you. 
Because if they if sucked, they you would have you would have blown up. Me. You would have blown up a couple times, and then they'd have been on edge more. Yes, but because they're doing a good job, I don't. I think any of our production assistants that will do a good job mm-hmm. probably won't fear us because they won't give us a reason to be mad yeah, at them. Yeah, but I almost made me want to have a crappy production assistant <laughs> so that I could be. We mean can bring back the guy who falls asleep and have uh, them on the job. Fear me. Now the that guy, oh, Sleepy Danny. Well, Sleepy Danny should fear me. Um, <laughs> what was that guy's name? I can't remember right now. I can't either. Caleb? No. No, it wasn't. It wasn't Caleb. <laughs> Definitely wasn't Caleb. No, I put the bad intern. I told this guy to button his shirt. Micah. Micah. I told him to button his shirt, and he didn't button his shirt. He He unbuttoned it, another button. We told another guy, your internship is complete. We'll fill out the paperwork for you. Don't come around anymore. (laughs) But there was another one that early on, I was like, listen, these breaks are about us getting our stuff done. Not about you chiming in and talking and chatting up. Be quiet. (laughs) Yeah, we had two interns in there at that point. I remember. I forget who they were, but there was a lot of talk. I also sent them to the principals. I sent them to Reed or Steve Ulrey, who preceded Reed. Yeah. You get in the room and leave us alone. Leave our presence. I like that disciplinary element of the internship. I need you people to start misbehaving. Yeah. Our production assistants are just too good um, just to go ahead and and, uh, give them a shout out. We've said that to them already. They're so good that even Paul can't be mad. Let this be a warning to those of you who are in line to be our production assistants coming up. You stay in line or I, the wrath of Paul, will come down upon you. We, we hear from the, uh, the wrath of one Austin Price. Brent Hubbs was there last night, too, at Topgolf Nashville for the 360 Masters. But Austin came to perform and play at a very high level. And I'm, based on his reaction to his play, I don't get the sense that he, he did that uh, to his caliber or what he was expecting. We'll get VolQuest's reaction to the big night, and we get the latest... From the Hill in Knoxville, there is a lot to discuss from fundraising efforts, another big recruiting weekend coming up. Tony Vitello is apparently pulling a lot more clout around that campus than one may believe for a baseball coach. All of that and more straight ahead as the Tennessee Power Hour includes VolQuest.com next on OutKick 360. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to OutKick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.